He spoke and it came to be. One moment there was nothing and the next moment worlds were born. No laborers, no machines, no fundraising, no logistical analyses, just a word and worlds were born. Can we even fathom that kind of power? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us today as we look at just the power of God. I think it is next to impossible to fathom that kind of power, Jonathan. It is quite unfathomable, isn't it? It's beyond our human capacity to understand just how powerful God is. But, you know, for, for us who are called to trust him, to entrust our lives to him, It is so important that we begin to understand that he is this powerful, that he holds the universe in his hands, and he he holds our lives in his hand as well. And it's wonderful to be able to entrust ourselves to a God who really has that power. And as we do begin to wrestle with that and to whether or not we can understand it or not, at least come to some sort of acceptance of that truth— I think that can really give us an assurance that there is nothing outside of his control. There's a peace in accepting that. There's so much that flows from it. There is a a peace and an assurance, and that's wonderful how we need that in a seemingly very chaotic world. There's also a humbling that comes from that, recognizing that God is very, very great and we are very, very small. I think that does us good as well on so many different levels. It does us great spiritual good to contemplate the great power of God. And we're going to be doing that, of course, today. That's exactly what we're doing as we begin our message called The Omnipotent God. Here is Jonathan. Most evenings, our four-year-old begins his prayers by thanking God that he, God, is more powerful than anyone else. The supreme power of God is, if you like, the foundation of his theology. I think we'd all agree that that is a very good foundation. If we don't believe that God is all-powerful, we don't believe that He is God at all. Some of the most wonderful reflections on the sheer power of God anywhere in Scripture are to be found in the book of Job, and it's there that I would like to begin this morning. If you would, please take up a Bible and turn with me to Job chapter 26, Job 26 and verse 5. The dead are in deep anguish, those beneath the waters and all that live in them. Death is naked before God. Destruction lies uncovered. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in His clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Who then can understand the thunder of the power of the Almighty God? That's Job's question. And the answer is, of course, that none of us fully can. 
in his great displays of power in his creation, in the created order, all we see, says Job, is the outer fringe of his work. Now, what a thought that is. Our perception of the extent of the greatness of the power of God, it is so limited, isn't it? And it is far too small. We only see but the outer fringe of his work, and we don't really see him for who he is. Our aim this morning is very simple. It is to try and expand our view of the power of God and to move toward a more biblical proportion, to catch even a glimpse together of His might from the pages of His Word. And we need to have a big view of the power of God, don't we? That's essential for us. We need it not simply so that our theology will be correct, important as that is. We need it so that our hearts will rest secure in Him. You see, the basic reality is this. If our view of God's power is too small, we simply won't trust Him. We won't trust Him as we should in the good times, and we certainly won't trust Him as we should in the bad times. And maybe that's exactly where you are this morning. Hard times perhaps have come into your experience, and you are wondering to yourself, you find yourself wondering, has God lost His grip on the situation? Have the waves of the raging sea not only overwhelmed me, but have they actually overwhelmed Him as well? I don't know if you've ever had the unsettling experience of traveling down a zip line at speed before. Whether or not you've ever tried that, you can picture the setup, I guess. A wire suspended between a high point and a lower point, maybe between a tree and something down at, at, at the base further afield. And you put on a harness, you get kind of wired up. This harness has a rope and a wheeled pulley that clips onto the, the wire, the zip line, and you go flying down the thing. Now, when you first get wired up to this thing, your instinct is always to want to hold on to something solid. Your instinct is to want to grip the zip line above. But the instructor will always warn you, don't do that. Don't ever do that. Because if you try and hold on to the zip line, you will shred your hand as you go flying down. No, you need to believe at the outset that this harness is strong enough to hold you. You need to have that basic confidence. And I just thought of that experience when considering the power of God for this morning. We need that absolute confidence in Him, don't we? In His strength, in His power, if we're going to trust Him properly even this week. If we're going to avoid shredding our hands by trying to take hold of the situation ourselves. If our view of the power of God is too small, we, we won't trust Him. And at the same time, we won't fear Him either. We'll imagine that we can domesticate him and sideline him in our lives. And we'll imagine that when we do that, he won't see it, he won't mind, he, he won't respond. And perhaps for others here this morning, that's where you are today. You have a belief in God of a kind, but yours is a small God, a God who can be part of your life when it suits you, but who is not your Lord and King, who is not the Almighty, the King of creation. Our theme this morning is the omnipotence of God, the truth that He is the all-powerful one, the truth that He can do anything that is in accordance with His character and His will. 
As Job says rightly of God in Job 42 and verse 2, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Or as the angel Gabriel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, nothing is impossible with God. The Bible teaches us again and again and again that God is all-powerful, reigning as sovereign over the universe. Of course, to consider all the ways in which God's mighty power is made manifest in the universe, that would take us more time than we have uh, this morning. So in the limited time that we've got, we've got to be a little bit selective. We've got to focus. And to that end, I want to concentrate on four areas where God's power is seen in the universe. I want to think together about why each one of those is important for us. First area I'd like to think about is that of the created order. I'd like to think about the Bible's teaching that we see God's power in the creation itself. I understand that one of the most significant construction projects underway anywhere in the world at the present time is the Great South-North Water Transfer Project in China. Maybe you've read about this yourself. The north of China has a huge population base, but a limited supply of water, and that's a problem for them. So the government has decided that the solution is to bring water up from the south through three massive canals, 600 miles long each. The project is scheduled to take 48 years to complete and is projected to deliver about 45 billion cubic meters of water each year. I can't even begin to imagine how much water that is. Now, that is a very impressive project. It's nothing less than the reshaping of the landscape and the environment on a massive scale. It is a stunning display of financial and logistical power. But think now of the power of God in creation. Think of the great mountains. Think of the oceans, the islands, the continents, the soaring sky, beautiful creatures, humanity itself. And that's just planet Earth. Think now of the universe. Think of millions of stars and planets, countless galaxies. I understand that the visible universe is about 91 billion light years in diameter at the present time. That is far bigger than any of us can even begin to contemplate. I have no idea what that means. 91 billion light years. And now consider the fact that God made the universe itself by the power of His Word. He spoke, and it came to be. One moment there was nothing, and the next moment worlds were born. No laborers, no machines, no fundraising, no logistical analyses, just a word, and worlds were born. Can we even fathom, even begin to fathom that kind of power? You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Omnipotent God. It's part of our series, Who is Like Our God? And we're going to continue this message in just a moment. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to be on this station because of your generosity. So if you have given a gift of support, thank you for doing that. I want to ask you to consider giving again today. And if you've never given a gift, if through listening to Jonathan's teaching, you're growing in your walk with Jesus, I want to ask you to give a generous gift. And as you do, we want to say thank you by sending a book called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross. It's really... The thief's story, some 2,000 years later in heaven, looking back at that day that he was crucified. 
how he ended up there on the cross next to Jesus, and how his eternity changed that day. And how by telling his story, we're able to understand how we can spend our eternity with Jesus. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as you give a gift of any amount. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or again, EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. It's one thing to make something. It's quite another to sustain it and maintain it. The world's landscape is dotted with grand projects that are either unfinished or just abandoned. Perhaps the most famous of these is North Korea's Ryongyong Hotel. This 330-meter-tall giant towers over the capital city and has done since 1987 when construction began. The building is still officially under construction, but it is essentially the world's largest abandoned building. The reality is that the project was far more than the weak regime could manage to complete or sustain. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that Jesus, the Son of God, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Paul expresses the same thought in Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Acts 17 and verse 25, in God we live and move and have our being. And the point of those Bible affirmations is this, not only has God made the universe, He upholds the universe moment by moment. Were God to cease upholding the universe by the word of His power, even for a nanosecond, the universe itself would tear apart at the seams. It would disintegrate. We would cease to be. God is the Almighty. He is the King of creation. How should we respond to Him as such? What should we make of this truth? Well, at the most foundational level, God's power in creating us and in sustaining us means that we owe Him our obedience and we owe Him our worship. That sounds like a very obvious point to make, and it is an obvious point to make, but it does take us to a fundamental question, really to the fundamental question at the very heart of the gospel. It's a question that some here, even in this room today, may be asking. It is a question that all our non-Christian friends would ask at some level, and it's this, why should anyone submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Why should anyone do that? After all, when we declare the gospel message, that is precisely what we're calling people to do. But why should they do it? What claim does the Lord Jesus Christ have on any one of us here? I mean, the offer of salvation, that's a wonderful invitation, but why is it that we actually owe God our allegiance and our worship? What is the logic there? Well, very simply put, we owe God our allegiance and our worship because we are His creatures, and our very existence depends upon Him, depends upon His generosity, His kindness, His favor, moment by moment by moment. Each breath is a gift. Each moment of existence is a sign of His kindness. Each new morning is a demonstration of His grace. And to refuse to honor Him, which we could only do by His sustaining grace, even to rebel against Him, we would rely on His sustaining power. To refuse to thank Him, to refuse to worship Him, it is not simply discourteous, but it is wicked. 
It's a point that the Apostle Paul develops in a very important passage at the beginning of the book of Romans. I'd like to turn there for a moment together, if, if we could, actually. Romans 1, and I'd like to read from verse 18. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say on this theme. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse." For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. To refuse to worship God and to thank Him for His power and His kindness in creation, to refuse to acknowledge the glory of God in creation, it is a very serious thing, Paul tells us. If you just can't figure out for the life of you why you should bother with God, why he has any right to say how you should live your life. Here is the reason he made you and he made me. If you're struggling to articulate the gospel to a friend or a family member and you don't even know where to start, where's the logical starting point of the conversation? Start with the fact of creation. God made us so we owe him our allegiance. See, that's why sin is a problem. That's why God has a right to hold us to account. That's why we need saving from His judgment. God's power is expressed in the creation, and actually that is the foundation of everything else. Next, God's power is seen in, in history, in the rise and fall of nations, in the affairs of the human world. I think it can often feel like history is spinning out of control. I don't know if you ever have that sense. As corrupt governments the world over make life difficult for their people, as tensions rise between nations and there are wars and rumors of wars, I keep watching this Brexit saga from afar. If you've followed that story at all, you'll know how chaotic it looks now with the prime minister stepping down, how it seems as though the whole democratic system might come apart at the seams. As we look on at an often chaotic world order, the Scripture tells us that Rulers and nations operate within the sovereign power of God, and how important it is to know that. Proverbs 21 and verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. In Daniel chapter 2, the exiled Israelite Daniel declares to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the ruler of the greatest superpower on earth, he tells him that his power is only his because God has given it to him. Daniel 2 and verse 37. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. That's a pagan ruler, but his power is only his because God gave it to him. In New Testament times, when the godless Roman Empire dominates the world order, Paul expresses exactly the same belief, Romans 13 and verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, says Paul, except that which God has established. It often looks and feels as though history is spinning out of control. 
And we can look at things in our own context, can't we? And perhaps feel concerned about a direction that a government is taking on a particular issue. We can wonder, what's going to come of this? We can fear what the future may hold. But the Bible has very, very great comfort for us. It tells us that no government is established unless the sovereign God establishes it. His power extends to this as to everything. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that all the things that governments do are pleasing to the Lord and in line with the teaching of His Word. Of course not. No, governments sometimes do very great evil, and sometimes we are given the governments that in our sinfulness we deserve. But the comfort is that no human government of any kind at any stage in history can overwhelm the power of God. No turn in human history happens apart from His sovereign control. When I was a kid, my favorite ride at the theme park was a racing car ride where you got to drive the car yourself. Maybe you've been on one like this. You get into a little sports car. I say sports car. I think it had a lawnmower engine in the back. And there's this accelerator and there's a steering wheel. I don't have a recollection of a brake. But for all intents and purposes, you're, you're driving the thing, and it's a wonderful, liberating experience. But what you don't realize when you're five years old and driving this little racing car is that there is a metal ridge running all the way along the track in between your wheels, and your wheels cannot cross it. You cannot deviate from your lane. You steer within limits. You get a sense of freedom. You get a sense of power, but you cannot leave your lane. <laughs> There's a real sense, isn't there, in which human rulers and human governments are placed in the lane which God has assigned them. They feel powerful, to be sure. They wield true power, but they serve only within the limits that God allows. And of course, you and I, we need to know this truth. We need to understand this truth if we're going to sleep at night, if we're going to have any peace about the future in this seemingly chaotic world. The rise and fall of nations and governments, it only happens within the sovereignty of God. What's going to happen in this next election here in Canada or the next one in the United States? What about Brexit? What about tensions with China or Russia or Iran or North Korea? The sovereign God knows. He's got it covered. <laughs> and we mustn't be anxious. We need to pray, and we need to trust the sovereign God to direct the affairs of human history wisely and in accordance with His will. God's power, it's seen in world history, in the rise and fall of governments and nations. It's a very wonderful truth, but it does raise a very big question for us. And in a sense, it is the key question related to God's power. Perhaps it's the elephant in the room. Perhaps you've been thinking about it already. What about the forces of evil in the world? If God is so good and God is so powerful, what about when bad things happen? When evil rulers rise, when cruelty is unleashed, when events unfold which are so clearly not good, what then about the almighty power of God? Jonathan Griffiths with the first part of a message called The Omnipotent God. We're going to continue this message next time as we continue to look at four areas where God's power is seen in the universe and why each is important to us. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to be on this station because of your generosity. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you, just as a thank you, 
a book written by Colin Smith. It's called Heaven, How I Got Here. We're so delighted to be able to share this resource and make it available this month. The Christian hope is grounded in the work of Jesus at Calvary, at the cross, and it takes our eyes forward to heaven. And it is so wonderful for us as believers to know that there is a future prepared for us in the presence of our Lord where we're free from suffering and pain. And this month's resource focuses our eyes, the eyes of our heart, on heaven. And what a joyful thing to focus on. And we hope it'll be an encouragement to you as you get hold of it to set the eyes of your heart heavenward, even in a world full of suffering. Well, the book is called Heaven, How I Got Here. It's the story of the thief on the cross, and we would love to send you a copy of this book as you give a gift of any amount to Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.